And welcome back to the Discovering Forestry podcast, the industry's fastest growing podcast. We focus on all things trees. I'm one of your hosts, Corey Lofi, alongside the Joe Aiken. Joe, how are you? Good, Corey. Um, real good. Uh, so good that uh, we decided that here in Michigan, we're going to have one more snow day. So it's uh, <laughs> it was 70 degrees last week and we got snow today. So um, I thought it would be fun to kind of talk about what's going on in the backyard uh, for both of us as spring springs and things are growing and thriving and starting to pop open. We can kind of talk about, let's go back to like ninth grade biology. Yeah, let's do it. You know, um, it was interesting that when we were kind of figuring out what we want to talk about today and, you know, we got, we've had some amazing podcasts and some great responses from our listeners, but, you know, every now and then I feel that uh, it's always good to go back to basics to understand exactly what's going on. And spring is such an exciting time of the year uh, in the green industry and in the plant industry. And not just for us, because our plant healthcare departments, you know, for a lot of companies are getting up and running and doing some really cool things. But I think as a homeowner, as a, anybody that loves the outdoors, this is an amazing time of the year. Yeah. So many people talk about, I know when, when every season changes in most of our, our temperate states, when the season changes, people always go, Oh yeah. Fall's my favorite time of year. Or, oh, spring's my favorite time of year. And it, what's funny is you talked about just getting some snow. Denver just got a foot. <laughs> so it'll be back to 80 degrees before long, but everybody likes spring. I think you get a lot more moisture. You get a lot more changing, a lot of trees, a lot of bulbs coming up, a lot of things blooming. So yeah, I'm with you. Let's see where this goes. Yeah. So let's, um, let's kind of start with the basics in uh, anatomy, physiology, plant structure, uh, fungus, <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, plant organs. Um, a little bit about monocot, dicots, different type of tissues, um, kind of things that are going on right now. Uh, before we started recording, uh, we're talking to our our amazing producer Kara, and she was talking about you know spring cleanup. You know, and a lot of people get so excited when they're out there and they want to start getting a good spring cleanup. You know, there's a lot of people are saying right now that with the science is that. Uh, don't do it too early because the opportunity and what all that organic matter and all that, that blanket around our plants is actually doing and all the, the beneficial insects that's harboring that haven't come out yet. So we can yeah, kind of start point. there. Uh, you, know, you know, when do we start spring cleaning? You know, everybody's getting excited. You know, don't get me wrong, but, you know, where do we start? What, you know, when we're talking about this, let's just start with the site. You know, what should we be doing right now? What's a common practice that uh, a plant health care guy would be doing right now? Or maybe a recommendation for a homeowner? Yeah, I think I think a big part of what plant health care professionals do, kind of how they how they start their season or how homeowners would start their season is, well, they're looking outside, they're seeing things starting to bloom. And maybe they're thinking, hey, now is a really good time to do a fertilizer or a soil conditioner or something like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's a great point. And it's something that a professional can do and a homeowner can do, or anybody can pretty much do it. 
Um, you know, and I think that there's a, a lot of, of validity in that, Corey, is that nutrition uh, for plants in an urban landscape versus you know, more traditional forest setting is that we break up a nutrient cycle in the urban environment where we work very hard to have a manicured uh, micro environment. Yet all the stuff that goes back to feeding, I guess, you know, feeding, I guess we could say feeding for all intents and purposes, gets broken back down and gets redistributed for the plant to, re, to reuse. And we take that away in an urban environment. So soil conditioning uh, and fertilization is it's kind of pretty valuable in an urban setting. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you had a great point. In a natural setting, we wouldn't really have much of a need for any alterations or any cleaning. The plant wouldn't necessarily have a need for additional nutrient content. But in an urban setting, with those soils, with trees that are oftentimes transplanted and put into a foreign environment, sometimes we do need to bump them along and, and, and speed up the process. Yes. So one of the big trends that I see uh, that's been happening for years is um, you had mentioned soil conditioning. Um, I think it's a, a trend that's growing momentum that, you know, if you look back in the history of arboriculture and um, horticulture, deep root fertilization is a mainstay in urban landscapes because again, we're replacing elements of the, the macro and micro elements that are needed for growth uh, in a solution that's readily available for the plant. Um, but soil conditioning, there's a lot more research and science going into reestablishing a life in soil with these amendments. Um, are, are you seeing that more and more, Corey, or is it something that maybe I'm, uh, I'm hoping that catches on better? Yeah, I think you're right, Joe. I think, I think a lot of professional uh, folks in the green industry grew up with like a 10, 10, 10 or a 20, 20, 20. And it was, you know, for the most part, uh, high salts. And it was just a well-rounded high salt fertilizer that, you know, everybody's been doing because that's what their dad did. But I think you're hundred percent right. I think people are looking at that holistic, realistic approach and going, okay, what we're putting down into the soil to help the tree, to help the soil microbes, there's more to it than just the 20, 20, 20. Yeah, and so How do we feed them? For people that don't know when he, when he mentions 20, 20, 20 or 10, 10, 10, uh, explain exactly what that is real quickly, elementary level. Sure. So uh, when we talk about a soil's fertilizer analysis and if it's a complete fertilizer, we're looking at NPK, your nitrogen, your phosphorus, and your potassium. So that would be your 20, 20, 20 NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. And uh, that, those, are, those are the typically the three numbers, three macros that most, most companies or most professionals are looking at. Yeah, and, and the, the highest percentage required by a plant for growth. So that's why when you look into a fertilizer, it's always based on the three numbers, your NPK. So yeah, thanks for, thanks for just reminding us. Like I said, a lot of, most of the guys that do this for a living understand it, but if we have some, some young listeners or somebody that's slowly getting into it, I think it'd be great for them to... Uh, just a little, just real quickly understand what that's all about. 
Yeah, no, no, no problem at all. And uh, something else too is keep in mind is your nitrogen for the most part helps with the green and what's above your phosphorus is your roots and then anything that's blooming or fruiting. Um, and then of course your potassium helps with overall cell structure. So yeah, that's a, that's the quick elementary version, my dear Watson. No, perfect. Uh, because as we build on you know, what we're talking about, you know, a lot of guys are, are foregoing um, or eliminating an MPK treatment, breaking into things that we talked about, like soil conditioners. Or um, again, one of our previous podcasts, we talked about the two biggest problems that we have in urban soils is uh, lack of organic matter and compaction. So um, by alleviating those, you may be able to eliminate some of the MPK that you have to apply, which is a pretty exciting trend that can be done, not only professionally, but by um, someone that's just getting into gardening or gardening in general, or want to look at a little bit safer way to keep the health of the plant up. So and I like that's it. something homeowners, homeowners can do and compost. You know, do, do you remember when compost really, it's hard to go to an industry show and not hear somebody talk about compost or feeding the microbes or compost tea or something really good like that. So it is cool. Yeah, you know, and it's, uh, there's a, there's a big trend of going back to like the, the farm, going back to nature, going back to, we, you know, we, we talked about using the word holistic and uh, I think the realistic holistic approach is great. And you know, and there are times when the NPK has to be applied, but then there's times where in between that if we just bump up some of the soil biology, uh, that could be released by the organic matter that's in the soil and get that process going again. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Perfect. So let's, so we talked about, let's kind of work our way up. So there's a couple of phenomenons that happen at this time of the year with grant. Or with green plants, and it is the development of meristem, meristematic tissue. So there's a couple of things happening in the springtime. Um, you know, one most of the year, like I said, when we when we count annual growth rings as a perfect example on a uh, deciduous tree, is that you got spring wood and you got uh, late wood, and it shows difference which causes an annual growth ring. So right now, uh, even without foliage, the tree's putting on new cells. Uh, primary meristem, which is responsible for elongation, which if we have time, we can get into gibberellins and uh, the responsibility for elongation. Uh, but then the secondary meristem is, is width. So a plant is actually putting on size as it starts to come alive. Uh, right now, which is pretty, it's, it's an amazing thing that happens. And it's really cool too, because I've heard a couple different theories on what, okay. And this is actually a question we get pretty frequently is uh, what wakes up a plant? What starts that flow of, of water or sap? Or if you're in the mid Midwest or up East, you might remember, you know, maple syrup. What, Joe, what starts that? Is it a soil temperature? Is it ambient temperature? Is it photo? Uh, is it the amount of sunlight it's getting? What, what, do you, what are your thoughts? See, now old school is, well, it's a combination of everything. You know, soil temperature has to be above freezing because then you can't have uh, the covalent bonding of water and elements. Uh, can't move because the water's frozen in the plant. 
but once you start getting those days that are above freezing, you start to get movement and buds start to swell. So when buds start to swell because they're, and that's all based on the length of day. So the longer the days get, it's all, it's all, you know, like almost like tides when the tide changes. So there's a change in the, the gravitational pull of the earth. The days are getting longer and, you know, plants are starting to sense that with, you know, probably through tropisms, which is an external uh, sense of their surroundings. They're understanding that that time of the year is coming. So length of day, soil temp, ambient temp, all that has to come into play for a tree to say, ah, let's go. Spring's here. Rising sun, 2021 is going to be a good year. Here we go, trees. Yeah, and I don't, like I said, I'm not sure if 2020 affected trees. Actually, it was probably a good year for trees because um, a lot more homeowners were home and a lot more, uh, most of our, our um, plant healthcare companies that we know and talk to and all of our buddies were swamped last year. That's so. right. Everybody had a good year with people looking at their trees and, um, you know, believe it or not, I just saw something on the news the other day that, 2021 is is one of the highest so far in the four months it's been is one of the highest human affected carbon emitting years uh, in the existence of, of humans. And of course, they measure that. We don't want to get political with talking about global climate change and all that. But um, it, it is interesting when they start looking at ice samples and core samples and they can compare the amounts of carbon in the atmosphere to where we are present day. And you look at present day and you go, wow, this is the worst. And there are a couple of things that affect that, you know, volcanoes, forest fires, uh, but the large part is fossil fuels. So, yeah, I think trees are going to have, they're going to have a good year for growth if, as long as we can get some water out of it. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny is that um, you can't expect to move into a desert and plant trees that require water and then scratch your head why they're not growing. Um, it, goes, it goes back to one of our first podcasts, Right Tree, Right Spot. But we all love them and we all try to make it. And then, you know, it's, in some areas, we just have to do a little bit more love to maintain it. And it's okay. Um, I love the fact that as long as we're planting, um, we're in the right direction. So, um, that's, so we're talking that's about, it. go ahead. I was going to say, no, that, that's it. And the trees, as the trees are waking up, what are most of the trees doing where you're at, Joe? Some of the trees that are, quote, unquote, waking up. What, do you, what are you seeing? Well, the first thing that happens is that you'll get the bud swell and they'll start to pop. And just behind that terminal bud is you'll start to get flowering. Now, I think what's amazing is that unless you're really a tree nerd, you know, you start to see the green and, or red on red maples. And you don't really, unless you get up there and look at it, you really don't know it's an actual flower that comes up first. So if you got trees that are starting to wake up, get your magnifying glass and get out there. And believe it or not, depending on species, you can tell if that's a male or a female by the type of flower that's on the tree. So you can get up in there and you know use your the, the, our fancy gadget that we're attached to our hip every day, our, our wireless internet, and find that tree species. And you can actually Google what flower is on a male maple tree and you can go in your backyard and tell if that's a male or a female, which is kind of neat because this is what's happening right now that plants have to procreate in one way, shape or form uh, through pollination or wind pollination or bees or anything to continue a species. 
Yeah, and let, let's discuss that. Let's look at a couple of the first trees that you'll have blooming. And how do those trees, how do they, how do they spread their seed? How do, how, do they, how do they fertilize the other flowers? And Joe said it just a second ago, wind pollination is so key for so many different types of trees. And if you think about it from the, from the plant's perspective, the first thing that plant is doing before it's really pushing out leaves to capture you know, sunlight to make carbohydrates, it's already thinking, how can I reproduce? Right off the bat, how can I reproduce? Yeah, using stored energy. Now, you got to realize, now this is another thing that you'll see on certain years. It's kind of neat to lean into is that you'll know when a tree had a, a, a very stressful year is because the following year they'll reproduce heavy. So what happens again, it's, it's, it's almost like an inner, this is what makes plants so amazing. We talk about science is cool and how big a dorks we are and how trees without a central nervous system, very similar to us uh, as humans, how they can sense atmospheric change, pressure, uh, again, tropisms. And when they have a bad year, survival of fitness, what happens? It throws out a big seeded year to repopulate. So, that's got, you know, that in itself is absolutely amazing that plants know that. They know that, oh, no, let's put out some more acorns this year. Bob's not looking good. You know what I mean? Isn't that amazing? Well, no, it 100% it is. And let's let's keep going down this rabbit hole if you're okay with it. Because look at look at some of the species that are, that are blooming right now. Like you, you talk about maples. Think about over the years over the millennia that maples have been developing, they develop these flowers right away that, that are, you know, for the most part insignificant. But the idea behind that is that those, the whirly birds, right. Or the Samaras, the seeds from the maples, guess, guess when those will really start falling and really start um, spreading their seed. If you're looking, especially look at the silver maple, right. That's a, that's a maple we would expect to see near rivers in the Midwest. Well, it's going to put out its seed, just when rivers in the Midwest are at their fullest. It's amazing. You know, it's almost like they know. And if you think about like they know. And and what was, you know, and if you look at, you know, you look at this as the trees are naturally uh, seeding, you know, the the male flower, the female flower, the pistol, the stamen, the wind pollination, uh, you know, the, the sperm goes down into the seed, the seed is developed, plant grows the seed, and then right up around, you know, fall, it decides to shed those and you have this heavy thing in the wind. It's a rainy season. It's like, they know it. All right, go find a spot. And then it has to go back to everything we talked to the most prolific plants that have never been planted are volunteer plants. Absolutely. So think about a, a fence row where all the elms and cottonwoods grow because they found the perfect spot during a wind, windy day where those seeds were released the soil was right, the temp was right, the pH was right, and the water content was right, and that plant germinated and grew. So recreating that when we plant a tree, you think would be optimal, but you can't trick mother nature. And it's amazing that you'd have a mulberry tree grow in the back corner of your property and uh, it just blew there or, or a bird planted it because we know how that happens. They eat the berries, it's fertilized, they drop things off the telephone wire. Next thing you know, you got the biggest, beautifulest mulberry tree in the back corner, which is a pain in the ass. But 
Yet some people will go down to their local nursery, pick out the tree that they think they want to put in, in, in into the into nature, into the ground, and they'll spend hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars, and they can't get it to take. But that mulberry that nature put there does just fine. Oh, you can't. <laughs> you could cut it down, and then you'd have a tree there next year. So there's so That's many it. amazing processes that have to happen for a plant to establish a yeah, and to think about the so the flowers come typically leaves follow. If if folks rewind five months previous here in the in the you know in the Midwest or in the Rockies on deciduous trees, if you rewind five months previous, what happened? We had senescence, right? So we had we had those leaves change colors. Well, what's happening when those leaves change colors is they're extremely efficient over the thousands and thousands of years that they've, that they've grown and adapted. What they're doing is they're pulling some of that nutrient content back into the plant so they don't have to remine it out of the soil. So some of that nutrient, five, six months later, here we are in the spring, that's going back and that's helping, that's helping with the new leaf formation too. Yeah, and it's amazing is that when a plant drops foliage, you know, there's a purpose for that, is that inside cellular development, there is, there is like a Krebs cycle. There is a, a cycle where a tree can take a monosaccharide or polysaccharide and break it down to energy. So when they break it down to energy, just like when we eat, there's a waste, there's a waste in a plant. So what happens in the leaf tissue is there's vacuoles that they'll place this waste in. So when they, when, when leaves fall off, they're actually in, in, a, in a, uh, a clean up way, they're taking a dump too. They have to expend waste product also. So it's so, it's so exciting to think that, you know, just because they're, they're autotrophs and they're making their own, their own meals, uh, they have to get rid of waste product also. So when the, the leaves in acid, it's end of the year and they have to drop, the days are getting shorter, they pitch the leaves. It's more than just beautiful. What well, is beautiful, but there's a purpose. That's funny. Do you remember the YouTube video? Hey, look, tree poop. That's neat. <laughs> I Some not. of the listeners out there do. <laughs> I'm going to look it up now. You got me thinking about it. <laughs> all, all of our friends and listeners, they, I think it's called Nature. N-E-A-T-U-R-E, Nietzsche Walk. And the guy talks about, hey, look, tree poop. <laughs> anybody anybody who went to uh, Wisconsin at Stevens Point for the time I was there, I, I remember that was, a, that was a staple. And uh, hopefully you get a kick out of that too. But oh, kind of fun. Awesome. So there's a lot of great things going on. So the leaves are flowering. And the next thing is that they're going to start to grow leaves. That's why it's so important for a, you know, a healthy environment. Um, a lot of, lot of things right now is, uh, you know, when leaves start to open up, we got to realize that there's insects and diseases that are starting to uh, come alive. A lot of the, um, the fungi and bacteria that they make prey on our insects or our plants. Um, there's a lot of indicators. What do we call them? Phenological indicators right now when a certain plant blooms, uh, uh, a certain disease is waking up. Um, and then we know that in the, in the, after the, the, the spring rains and the leaps are soft, uh, you have something very, like apple scab is very prolific right now and starting to land on your, your apple trees. There's, there's very important times of the spring and there's very important treatments that uh, we need to start looking at also. 
it all happens to what's blooming is what you should be treating for. So I, I don't, I'm not sure if a lot of people really use phenological indicators as much as we used to. I don't hear much about it anymore. I think, I think so many people are, are in, I think there are a lot of people that are in tune with some of those indicators. And I think technology has also helped a lot. And I know we only have a couple minutes today, so we won't go into growing degree days uh, too much detail. But basically what a growing degree day is, is uh, it's an indicator that you can derive by doing math. You find out the temperature, the daily temperature high, you subtract the base, and there's this whole equation to it. So with confidence, a professional arborist or entomologist, somebody who studies insects, can tell you exactly when certain insects will come out at exactly what days. It's, it's remarkable. We should almost have a, an episode just on, just on growing deg degree days. You know, that's, you know what, thank you, because uh, I had a kind of a brain fart and I forgot about growing degree days. But no, you're right. I think phenological indicators are probably something back a little farther back in the day because um, a lot of your MS or like MSU extension, a lot of our extension agents have uh, growing degree day calendars that are very accessible to anybody that's interested. And it's not just for plant healthcare. It's just, uh, I guess it is primary for plant healthcare, but it would give you an idea of what's next, what to look for, what's the next thing's going to bloom. Maybe that helps with identification also. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's really big in the egg world. So agriculture, like farm, farmers, Midwest, uh, even to the West here, farmers need to know growing degree days so that they can put down the proper product so that they can, they can, they can time those treatments just right to make sure things are, are buttoned up and working. Yeah. You know, I said, like I said, there's, we had an idea what we wanted to go through. And it's amazing is that we start talking about the science in the, you know, we, we, we say this to our listeners over and over that plants, trees are living organisms that are alive with so many uh, amazing processes and systems and cells that are all <coughs> specialized. You know, it's incredible. And I, I encourage everybody if you haven't been out yet, go out and grab that plant that's blooming in the backyard, get your little hand lens out there and really take a good look at it. Um, I'm a big enough dork. I got a nice dissecting microscope. Um, I can pull that out. Um, quick story is that I was at a seminar in Michigan, a uh, big horticulture seminar, and they're talking about emerald ash borer. And someone asked a question uh, to one of the professors, and it was like, well, what's the degree growing day for ash flowers in Michigan? And they, they looked at they looked at it like a deer in the headlights. And without even thinking, I says 225 degree growing days. I, I blurted it out. And I knew the professor, man, he shot me a look like, don't do that, make me look stupid anymore. But um, no, it's important to know stuff like that because when you're applying a compound to specific trees and you're worried about certain things, you need to know when things are pollinating so you don't apply something. So I know ash trees are wind pollinated, but it goes back to just doing the right application at the right time to where you do avoid any instances to take care of anything that's beneficial. That makes sense. So that it does make sense. And it's also a, I think that's the professional way. I think that's the respectable way to really showcase just what 30 years or 40 years of being in the industry has to, has to show. And 
the view and the knowledge and the ability to piece together this puzzle, like we talked at the beginning, everything's interconnected. The warming of the temperature, the flowering of this plant, the leafing out of that plant, it's all connected. So taking, taking that big view is, is such a great way uh, to look at our industry. Yeah. Yeah. We got to get outside. Now's the time. Well, not today because it's still snowing, but you got to get out there. Um, I would love our listeners, um, you know, some suggestions. I'd love to see some of the plants go out there and take some pictures and send them to us. You got to, you know, I, I don't think that we share enough and I'm, I'm excited about the podcast and we get an opportunity to share a lot of good things, but. Um, yeah. So any listeners out there in the discovering forestry podcast nation, please drop us a line. Let us know what your thoughts are so far. Let us know if there are any guests that want to be a part of this network, a part, a part of this episode. And then the final thing that we would ask is just please spread the word about what we're doing here. As you all know, Joe Kerr and myself aren't taking a dime for this. We don't have any corporate sponsors. We're doing this purely to raise the bar in our industry, but we also need your help. Please leave a review. Please forward our show link to one of your friends and let us know where you want to take this because this is ultimately for you. So thank you so much for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for spreading the word and leaving us a review. Yes, have a great night. Hey, great topic today. Yes, and lots of good information. Yeah, probably one of our best yet. If you enjoyed the podcast or have topics you would like to discuss, please send them to discoveringforestry at gmail.com. And please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. Thanks, guys, uh, for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Joe. And I'm Corey. Signing, Signing out. out.